I've shared with you before that I grew up in a wonderful, loving home, but it was a home without faith. I had no idea who Jesus was. I had no idea there were people called Christians, people who got connected to God through Jesus and tried to live as men and women of faith. So growing up in a family like that, how did I ever become a follower of Jesus? Well, it happened because God sent a stream of people into my life, people who placed a high value on me, people who could see that I was spiritually clueless, and they were concerned for me. They recognized that I was lost and far from God. And they wanted to help bring me home to the Heavenly Father. These people thought it was worth some time and some effort to try to help me find God. So I'm thankful for the family in my neighborhood that for a few years would pick me up and take me to Sunday school at their church. I'm thankful for the friend who invited me to go to his youth group. I'm thankful for the girl that I sang with in the high school choir who took me to church. All of those experiences were part of my journey. All of those things helped me to learn more and more about God and to realize that there was a God in heaven who loved me, a God in heaven who wanted to take away my sin and forgive me and have me be his child. And and one day it finally all clicked. It finally all made sense. So I repented of my sins and I became a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the great irony though. When I became a Christian at age 17, I was told that I needed to quickly disassociate myself from my unbelieving friends. I was told that they'd be a bad influence on me and draw me away from God. I needed to keep them at arm's length. I was told that the only way to be a good Christian was to hang out with other Christians. And that made absolutely no sense to me. Because if the people in my life had done that, I never would have become a Christian at all. So I ignored that advice. And I'm glad I did because some of those unbelieving friends of mine were able to become also followers of Jesus. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians who are given that same advice that I was. And if we embrace that kind of advice, then we never build meaningful friendships with people who are far from God. And in fact, here's what I see happen. Rather then try to influence people who don't believe and influence them toward God, we can wind up living in fear that unbelievers will influence us away from God. And I think we have to ask, is that really the right way to view ourselves? Is that really the right attitude that we should have toward people who are spiritually lost? This very issue, the importance of lost people was a point of significant contention between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. And he addresses that point very directly by telling two parables. He tells two stories about the value of searching for that which is lost. I'd like us to listen to these words of Jesus recorded for us in the book of Luke chapter 15 verses 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all of his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The issue that Jesus tackles here is very simple, yet very powerful. And when we embrace it, it becomes transforming. You see, he wants us to think about the price tags that you and I place on the people that God sends into our lives. Do we place a higher value on people who are most like us? Or are we willing to spend time and effort to extend God's love even to people that we think might be very ungodly. Now, as we just heard, Jesus has a fundamentally different view about this issue than the religious leaders of his day. And we see those stark differences very clearly in verses 1 and 2. And as this story begins, we can see that Jesus is being criticized by the Pharisees and the other religious leaders for eating meals with sinful people. And I find myself asking this question. Why would people who are far from God even want to hang out with Jesus in the first place? Well, the answer actually is really simple. They want to hang out with him because he wants to hang out with them. He goes to where they are. He invites them to where he is. He accepts them as they are without endorsing all of their attitudes and actions. He offers them sincere friendship and he lets them know that they are not beyond the reach of God. The attitude of Jesus here is completely different than the attitude of the Pharisees because tragically they see no value in building friendship with people they view as sinners. So their goal is to extract themselves from the world and to isolate themselves from people that they think might contaminate them. And so by their attitude and by their actions, the message that they send to sinful people is this. The cost of sharing God's love with you is too high for me. And Jesus here makes it clear that the attitude of the Pharisees is wrong. He wants to show us the right way. And he does that by his own behavior. He personally spends time with people who are spiritually adrift. And he doesn't just show us the right way. He teaches us the right way by telling these two parables that we just heard. And rather than extract ourselves from the world, 
He wants us to inject ourselves into the world and be a part of the culture around us. And rather than isolate ourselves from people who are far from God, he wants us to seek them out, to take the initiative to be their friends in hopes that we can rescue some and get them connected to our loving God. And that's the point that Jesus makes in verse 4 at the end of this very first parable, the parable about a lost sheep. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, now a shepherd would be concerned about his whole flock, but he would be particularly concerned about lost sheep. Because when sheep get lost, they are helpless. And they usually cannot find their way home by themselves. I saw a vivid example of this a couple of years ago. I was driving on a back road north of town, and I saw a large flock of sheep grazing in a pasture, so I stopped to watch. And they all had their heads down and are eating the grass, and then I saw this one little lamb just kind of slowly wander off and create some distance between himself and the flock. And he got about 30 yards away, and then he suddenly looked up and realized, uh-oh, and he panicked. He couldn't see the flock. He couldn't see mom. He starts bleeding in fear. And mom hears him and lets out this huge bellow when he hears the voice. And he goes leaping through the tall grass and finds his way back to mom and the flock and to security. And I was struck by the fact that that lamb was lost and needed help. And it was mere yards from the flock. But what happens if a sheep wanders away out of sight of the flock? beyond the call of mom. It won't find its way back, so the shepherd has to take action. And every lost sheep is essential. Every lost sheep is valuable because it represents food and income for the family. The, the shepherd cannot afford to abandon any lost sheep. And yet, in order to go to the rescue... The shepherd must temporarily abandon the other 99 sheep. He's got to pay less attention to them. Now, he probably asks a nearby shepherd to keep an eye on them, but the fact is, while he's out on the hunt, his sheep are getting less attention than they otherwise would if he was present. His purpose isn't to ignore the 99. He's just demonstrating that he understands the price tags. The sheep and the flock are going to be okay. But the lost sheep needs help, and it's worth time and effort and even risk to go find it. There's a cost to the rescue, but the cost is worthwhile. Now, this parable is a metaphor, and the lost sheep represents a person who is far from God. Such a person is, in Jesus' view, spiritually lost. And Jesus is modeling what it means to be a good shepherd. He takes the initiative to go find lost people. And that's why he hangs out with people who are spiritually adrift. And he wants you and he wants me to do the same thing. He wants us to go on a search and rescue mission and help bring people home to the Heavenly Father. One of the things that I love about our church is that we're very committed to doing this together. 
And one of the most powerful ways we do this, I believe one of the most effective ways we do this, is through our weekday KidMax program. Every Wednesday during the school year, we have about 65 kids from this neighborhood. They're right here in our church for four hours on Wednesday afternoon. And about 30-some-odd volunteers show up. And together, we give these children a safe place to go after school. We give them fun games and activities to play, and we teach them useful skills like cooking and sewing and drawing. And there's some great Christian families who send their kids to KidMax. But most of these kids, most of them are spiritually lost. They and their families are wandering far from God. And by investing in their lives, we want to show them that we care. And we care because we believe in a loving God who cares about them. Now here's a key thing to understand. In everything that you and I do, there's something called an opportunity cost. On any Wednesday afternoon, our staff and volunteers have the opportunity to do a variety of things. And by choosing to do KidMax, we're saying that's the opportunity we want to invest in. And it means then we lose the opportunity to do other things. That's the cost. I lose a half day when I could work on sermon preparation. I lose a half day that I could spend with church members. I have to do those things at other times. And to use the metaphor of this parable, every Wednesday afternoon, we leave the 99 sheep behind. And we go in search of lost sheep. We place a high value on KidMax because it fulfills the mission that Jesus gives us in this parable. And here's what's great. It's working. It's bearing fruit. We have KidMax kids who graduate, meaning they leave fifth grade. And they go on into middle school, and some of them come back as volunteers and join us in the program. And that means we get to continue to build connections with them. We get to know them better and continue to model for them what it means to follow Jesus Christ and hopefully lead them into connection with God. Some of those kids, as they graduate and go on to middle school, become part of our youth group. You see, through KidMaps, we're finding young boys and girls who are wandering around like lost sheep. And by injecting ourselves into their lives of these, the lives of these kids and their families, we have the great privilege and the great joy of bringing some of them home to God. This kind of thing only happens, though, when, when we place the right price tags on people. And we understand that there are people in this neighborhood who are spiritually lost. God values them. And we're willing to pay a price to try to rescue them. Now, this, this principle of searching for lost people is so important. It is so foundational to the values of the kingdom of God that Jesus does not settle in this case for just one parable to make his point. After telling the parable of, of the lost sheep, he immediately tells another parable about a different kind of person with a different issue. And yet the point is the same as we see here in verse 8. And Jesus describes a woman who has ten silver coins and loses one. She goes on a hunt for it in her house. These coins are valuable. Each coin roughly represents the wage for one day of work. 
So these 10 coins represent a significant part of the family savings, and that one lost coin is huge. The fact is, the typical Jewish family in that day was not well off, so this lost coin mattered. It could not be ignored. It was valuable. Hunting for that lost coin wasn't easy. The typical home for the working class in that day usually had just one window, one small window, so it was dark inside. The floor usually was hard-packed dirt, maybe covered with some woven rush matting. Or if it was stone, it would be rough-cut stones with a lot of crevices in between. And so in a home like that, it was much easier to lose a coin than to find it. It's no wonder the woman lights a lamp and sweeps the floor. It takes her time and effort to try to find that lost coin. I think we can understand that. Think about how hard it is sometimes to find the things that we lose in our own homes. This last week, my wife lost an earring. And it was an earring that had some sentimental value because we bought it on a special vacation. So I found myself down on my hands and knees wearing my little headlamp flashlight, looking everywhere, trying to find the earring. I was unsuccessful. My daughter-in-law finally found it. Found it the way this woman in the parable finds her coin. She was sweeping. (laughs) Whoop, there's the earring. She found it. But why is it that we want to go hunt for lost possessions? For lost jewelry or lost coins or lost sheep, we hunt for them because they're valuable to us. And through these two parables, Jesus is saying, I want you to take those price tags that you place on your prized possessions and I want you to put those same price tags on people who are far from God. I want you to value lost people the way I value them, is what Jesus is saying. So he's urging us here to go searching for people who are spiritually adrift, for people who are lost and may not even know it. And here's what I find myself praying about and wrestling with. How will people who are far from God ever find God if God's people ignore them? I'm so glad that when I was growing up, the Christians around me didn't ignore me. They valued me. They put a high price tag on me, even though I was wandering in the wilderness. Because of their influence, I found Jesus. I find myself wondering, if that hadn't have happened, would I even be here today? And part of the family of God. By telling these parables, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees who are listening to him, and he's challenging us to examine our attitudes and to reevaluate our priorities. He's inviting us to value lost people the same way that he does so we can help bring people home to God and help us realize just how important this is. To help us realize how close this is to the heart of God, Jesus tells us that whenever someone is successfully rescued, there's great joy in heaven. And he highlights that at the end of each of these two parables, and we see that here in verses 7 and 10. 
He's telling us that he wants us to try and rescue people who are far from God because heaven celebrates whenever someone repents. Think about that. Whenever someone acknowledges that they are on the wrong path, and they want to choose to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they make that decision, they repent, and they're baptized, guess what? It's party time in heaven. It's a huge celebration. We need to realize that what Jesus says here would be shocking to his audience. Because he's taking the worldview of the Pharisees and he's turning it upside down. They think God does not care about people who are spiritually adrift. They wouldn't have cared about somebody like me. Jesus says exactly the opposite. God deeply values all people. He's eager for all men and women and even children to become his children. And that's why these parables do not end with the rescue of a lost sheep. They don't end with the finding of a lost coin. And yes, as we listen to the parable, we know that the shepherd celebrates when he finds a lost sheep. We know the woman celebrates when she finds a lost coin. But that's not the point of the story. These are metaphors. And the point is the joy that takes place in heaven whenever a spiritually lost person is found. Jesus wants us to know that investing time and effort and even risk in that process is worth it. It's worth it for you. It's worth it for me. He's inviting us to be part of his search and rescue team. So we need to wrestle with what he is saying here. And we need to wrestle with this question. What kind of price tags do we put on the people around us? And do we in fact value lost people the way that God does? Now I think that we do this pretty well together as a church. I think we do it pretty well through some of the ministry programs and activities that we do together like KidMax. But I think all of us can do a lot better in our own individual lives. Sometimes, without even realizing it, we can fall into a pattern of life where we are living in great isolation from the unbelieving world. And the reality is that our broken and hurting world is filled with all kinds of people who are spiritually lost. Some of them are our neighbors. Some of them may be your coworkers. We have the opportunity to get them connected to God. And sometimes we have to be intentional about this. And I have to tell you that every time in my life when I have made the decision to be very intentional about engaging the unbelieving world to try and build friendships with people who are far from God, I've never been disappointed. I've always seen God show up and seen him do something. I've had the privilege of rescuing some lost sheep. When my children were young, I got to meet all kinds of people because my kids were involved in what I call the three S's, school, sports, and scouts. But their involvement in those places and those organizations was a great avenue for my wife and I to develop relationships. And I want to encourage you, those of you with kids, 
There's a natural pattern to your life because of the activities in which your kids are involved. So look for opportunities within those normal experiences to build connections with people who are far from God. Pray that God would build a friendship with you so that you could reach people and be part of that search and rescue mission for people who are spiritually adrift. One of the best investments of time that my wife ever made was to get involved as volunteers at the local public elementary school where our kids went. My wife was what they called a roving reader. She went from class to class reading to the kids. She served on the PTA. She helped to organize field trips. I got involved in what was called the school site council. All of those things took a lot of time. But through those involvements, we got to know a lot of the staff really well. We ended up periodically having teachers over to our house for meals, getting to know them on a deeper level, finding opportunities to speak some of God's spiritual truth into their lives and to help some of them get more closely connected to God. And I'll never forget one time that one of the fifth grade teachers at the school was just going through a major season of personal crisis. And she didn't know what to do. She did not know how to solve her problem. And she called me for help. And she didn't call me because I was a pastor. She called me because I was her friend. I was a friend who knew something about God. And she had this great sense that maybe God could help her through this season in her life. And so I showed up at the school. We met in her classroom one day after the kids had left. And she poured out the pain in her life, all the heartache that she was experiencing. I had a marvelous chance to talk to her about our loving God. I had a chance to pray with her and listen to her as she began to open up her own heart and life to God. Now, I don't know if she ever made a faith commitment to Jesus Christ. I do know that God gave me the privilege of planting very real seeds of faith into her life. And sometimes when we plant seeds, someone else enjoys the harvest. But I had that privilege because I was looking for the opportunity. And I never want to miss an opportunity. And I won't as long as I have the right price tags for people. Over the past couple of years, I've deliberately gotten involved in some community nonprofit organizations here in our area. Specifically so that I can build relationships outside the church. And I now have growing friendships with people who are atheists and agnostics, and a couple who are devout Jews. Now, I have no idea what's going to happen in these relationships. But I'm excited to invest some time out away from the flock looking for lost sheep because I know that's a key part of what Jesus wants me to do. And the same is true for you. Sometimes we have to step away from the security and the safety and the comfort of our Christian friendships and go looking for people who are lost. And it might be someone at work. It might be a neighbor. I love the fact that we have people here in our church who volunteer on their own apart from KidMax to serve down at Holt Elementary School. They're building connections with the staff down there and the families down there. We have people in our church who volunteer at Riverbend Hospital 
We have people who serve in a variety of community groups. All of those are golden opportunities to connect with people who are far from God. And I commend you for doing that kind of thing. And I urge you, as you do, pray. Pray that God will give you a meaningful friendship with someone in that place who is spiritually adrift, who is far from God. And pray that God might give you the privilege of bringing them home to the Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do in these two parables. It's a purpose we believe in. It's a purpose we embrace. It's a purpose that we summarize in our church mission statement that we want to know him and love him and share him. And we don't want to forget that that is what animates us. And that's why we put it on the wall above the gym out there. And every time you walk through our lobby, I would encourage you to stop and to read those words again to be reminded that this is a key part of what it means to be the family of God. Because one of the best ways that we can fulfill that mission is for each of us to personally look for people who are far from God see if we can help them find God through the love of his son, Jesus Christ. It's not always easy to do. It takes some time, it takes some effort, it may take some risk. Sometimes it might be a little scary. I find that it's a lot easier to do when we trust what Jesus says here and when we put the right price tags on the people around us, when we value lost people the way that Jesus does. There is a great invitation here for each of us. An invitation to be part of God's search and rescue team. That's the invitation. The question is, how will we respond?